Hey guys, Coach Steve here, FRA Podcast, Episode 10, uh, here on the front range of Colorado, down out of the mountains in the sports world. It's all about March Madness. It's Rock Chalk time. KU alumni like myself, I am pumped. The first game of the day, the winner meets Kansas on Thursday. But up in the Trapper's Cabin, it's about tennis and survival, and that's it. So we're going to check in with Coach B.O.B. How you doing? I'm doing good. Did I uh, did I do good to get Kansas at least to the regional finals? Yeah, I'd like to see you take them a little further, but uh, you got them bowing out there, huh? I think I do. I just went chalk. I haven't watched a game in a couple of years. <laughs> so I just went, <laughs> I just went with one of the odds set, so I can't possibly win the bracket. <laughs> That's okay. I think you might have us losing to Auburn then. Auburn is the two seed in our bracket. We're the one seed, but they've got they've got guys that can shoot the three and uh you know in March Madness it's you don't take anything for granted. I mean the best teams can lose early. <laughs> I think you're right. I think I have A squared Auburn and Arizona in one of the final four brackets there. Yep, yep. You got Gonzaga, Baylor, Arizona and KU, I I think are the one seeds. The two yeah. seeds are Auburn Duke, Kentucky, and somebody else, maybe Villanova. But yeah. uh, but uh, today it's all tennis. How's, all how's, tennis. The, how's the conditions up there, though? Fabulous. Beautiful spring day up here oh. at the cabin. Fantastic. Hey, so today's all about Colorado high school tennis, uh, what we believe could be some really good changes to the current structure and format. We're both huge fans of high school tennis. We see kids have a lot of fun for the most part with high school tennis, but maybe some things here that can make it better. I'd like to hear you say we, because I, you know, I don't know that you've necessarily been, you know, screaming the same things that I've been screaming about this, <laughs> but uh, you know, maybe I'm dragging you in to, to my ways that I think it could be better. No, I mean, I'm just, we've always discussed how, you know, players should not think that they're too good for high school tennis and that they should still do it. I, you know, I mean, being around high school players all the time, most of them have fun, but I'm, I'm totally with you. We have what three or four fundamental changes that we think Chasa could look at and could make Colorado high school experience format tournaments matches better. Right. Yeah. In fact, in one of the earlier podcasts, you had said how, you know, it's neat that you see these matches coming down to the final one. It's three, three, you know, one team wins four three over the other here because Colorado we have three singles and four doubles format, but that hasn't really been my experience. You know, I've seen kids wander off more often than hang around for that big three three deciding match for oh. a couple of reasons. One, it doesn't make any difference. You know, in, here in Colorado, there isn't anywhere whether it's conference, regions, or state where that dual match score actually matters. And then you had mentioned, too, when I said, oh, how many courts were at your high school? You said, oh, the standard six. And that's pretty standard around here, too. We have some places that have eight or 12 courts, but most places do have six. And we have a seven-team format. Uh-oh, that creates that <laughs> creates delays, doesn't it? It does. No, I'm with you. The last high school match I saw was the anomaly. It was last fall, boys' season, Thompson Valley versus Silver Creek. Um, you know, I was – it was fun because I – literally personally coach like the top four boys for each school. So, and then obviously it like, you know, interested in the doubles kids as well, had a number of doubles kids as well that, that are on the FRA. Um, but so that was one that went to 
four three, but that's rare, and we're gonna talk about that. So I, I hear you. Like that was a fun one, but it doesn't happen enough, and we're gonna well, talk about. It, and it isn't so much that it doesn't happen enough; it it's really inconsequential. True, because the whole isn't... state format is all about me, me, me. Well, yeah, and regionals, and even conferences. There, there, there is nowhere I've ever seen any standings in like a conference based on those dual match results. They're not so, published anywhere. Nobody cares. The regionals are all based on flights. Well, let's start right there then. How mm-hmm. can we make it more like colleges and team scoring? Explain that. Well, all you do is you have, I mean, just like you said, dual matches. And since we have seven, you know, obviously they're thinking that dual matches matter. Otherwise, why not just have six, three singles and three doubles? It fits on the courts easier. You're not going to have people staying over. I mean, it costs two people a spot on the team, I guess. But, I mean, we don't have four singles and five doubles. You know, so I think the reason they've set on seven is because you want to have the, a settle the score, right? You know, one team wins, one team loses. Right. But but there isn't anywhere where that matters in this state. Yeah. So so I don't understand. So instead, they should say, no, this is a team sport to high school tennis. And instead of adding up the things like in track and field, where you get certain points for certain positions, advancing in different flights and different tournaments, you have a dual match where it's team, you know, Boulder versus Fairview. And one team gets, you know, wins five matches, they win the match, five two. Yeah. yeah. And that's how you would do that's how you would do the state tournament too. You would say, you know, you would have regions and you would have eight teams qualify for state, and you would have dual matches in the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, and third place matches. Yeah. And 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 if you have any experience with going to the state tournament or going to regionals, I mean at regionals they they crown a regional champion, but it's I mean, I don't know, they have to add up all these weird weighted points in all the draws. And at state it's the same thing. It is very difficult to keep track of what team is winning or leading and, at state. And I don't think too many people care. Well, I, you know, the, I, I think the teams kind of care. But, I mean, they do get a big trophy. You know, the, the winning, quote, team gets a trophy. But, yeah. you know, how representative is that of really? I mean, I think at the very top, those teams mostly are the better schools. And if they did have duels, you'd get the same champions. But we've had examples here where you had one school that had one guy win the state championship and their, quote, team finished third. He was the only guy from the school that qualified for the state tournament. The, the, the top two teams dominated all the other flights other than the one that he won. So he accumulated enough points for his team to finish third in state. So there's a lone guy standing on a podium representing a team of people that aren't even there. How, how does that make any sense? Yeah. Do you, do you have any idea how many states do it like the NCAA and different from us? I think about a third of them when I looked last okay. time. Okay. And I, and I don't know why it is. I mean, I think maybe it's they, they feel like then they don't have to have a separate individual tournament for singles and doubles. They just get it all done at one time. Right. But gosh, it complicates things. I mean, yeah. and it's just, I mean, the most exciting team tennis formats I've ever seen are what you described, you know, like coming down to three all or four all if you have a nine point format or something, you know, that, that last match, Army, Navy tennis, where it's two guys battling for the, for the trophy, for the win, for the, the star match, a, a girls NCAA tournament final where it's three, three, and you got two girls battling in a third set tiebreaker with everybody watching and cheering. It all comes down to that. Yeah, we, we do not have that here in Colorado because we do flights. I mean, I think in all of the years I've watched Colorado high school tennis, there was one year where there was one match that came down to two teams playing a doubles match that actually did determine the state championship because of all the convoluted points. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. I've, we've seen situations where a team will qualify 
one to two players for state. But the way it's weighted, if it's a one singles player and they become a state champion, their team takes seventh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And nobody was even there. I mean, right. that's terrible. I mean. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. It, it, yeah. It just seems like it's much easier to, I mean, if you want to have team championships, tennis, that it suits itself extremely well to it. Yeah. It's done all the time in college. I mean, that's the NCAA tennis tournament is a team tournament, dual matches. Then is that then that the weighted at one singles to two singles and on down that would go away too because yeah. one man or woman or girl would not be more important than another. It's a team. It's a team. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you know the way they do it in college, you know they have everybody plays every no, not everybody but you know you play singles and doubles, so you, you get to do both. You don't have to do that in high school. Obviously, the the format of four three singles and four doubles is perfect. It's perfect yep. for it. Go for it. You know. So, so step one. See if we can get more of a team scoring format like they do in college that reflects actual dual match results. Um, step two, um, regionals are not really actually regional here, are they? No, and that and that sort of gets to the team thing too. Because you're doing all these flights, <laughs> well, at least, well, let's go back and explain. And what they do in Colorado, in for sure in 5A and I think in 4A and 3A to a lesser degree, I think 4A and 3A and girls, they do a better job of keeping it geographical when they can. So you're not taking a team from Denver and sending them out to the Western slope as often, or a team from Fort Collins and sending them down to Colorado Springs. They do a little bit better job, but in the big schools, they try to balance out the regions with some waterfall method. Mm -hmm. So they just, they, they spread it around. So the best eight teams will be spread in different eight different regions so that they can qualify for the tournament. So what happens then is you, you have, a bunch of people in flights from various parts of the state all coming together in weird places, Colorado Springs or Fort Collins or different parts in Denver. And these kids haven't really played against each other very much during the season. Right. Yeah. So how do you seed them? You know, you don't have really any head to head results. You know, people that follow tennis at the first and second, maybe third singles kind of have a sense, but other than that, you don't really know. So they have some system where they give you a point for a win a half a point for a loss or something. You add up these points that you've accumulated during the year. And so some player from Lyman, Colorado, that's played a bunch of matches and won them against people that can't play tennis comes in and is a second seed in some region where the other kids have battled each other, maybe mm-hmm. and played a, a top, a, a decent schedule. So that's pretty strange. Mm-hmm. And so you've got these headaches at these regional meetings that, well, if you just you, a did a team thing, doesn't exist, makes it pretty easy, doesn't it? Right. And then if you did actually regions geographically, they would have played each other a lot more often. So you would have had to head to head results that actually do the seedings. Yeah. So that, that's one aspect of it. Another aspect, and I think a more important one, is that it creates regional rivalries. If when you have a, a part, you know, different areas of the state, like say, you know, up in the, the Boulder, Niwot area. If only one of Broomfield, Fairview, Boulder, Niwot gets to actually go to state every year, oh my goodness, those those dual matches between those schools, or even flighted if you do it that way, the rivalries between those kids would be very intense because mm-hmm. you, you have to get through those your local people in order to get to the state tournament. Yep, yep. And you, and you would say, well, that's not going to be, you're going to get some schools that aren't as good getting to state because you're clustering so many good schools sort of in, you know, Southwest Denver and Northwest Den- Metro area and 
Fort Collins, you maybe those are your better schools. So you're only going to get four or five of the best schools and you're going to get maybe three or four not so good schools. But I think that's actually a benefit too, because then those schools are going to have something to play for. You know, let's say for example, that Grand Junction uh, isn't, they're not very good out there. They are actually pretty good, but just use them as an example. One of those teams is going to qualify for state. That's a big deal for those kids. If you send a pretty good metro area team out there that qualifies, well, that carrot's gone because they're not really going to qualify. A better team's going to come in from that region and qualify instead mm-hmm. of that. And so you, you, you're going to build, if you have that team coming from Grand Junction or from Durango or somewhere that's not as tennis-centric, you will have building little rivalries there. So that schools there, they, there's a carrot out there to say, man, if we if we can get through, you know, these other teams in our region, we get to go to state. Mm-hmm. That's cool, and you could yeah. you could then build a tennis culture there. And then you say, well, those teams are going to come and get pounded. Yeah, but they're going to get to come and see the the better players. They're going to experience it. It might be motivating to go back and get better. I mean, that's how it's always been. I mean, when I was a kid playing tennis in Minnesota, we you know we weren't that good relative to teams around the state. Uh, or sorry, around the country or uh, players around the country. But, you know, we would qualify and go to nationals and we'd get our hats handed to us, but we'd come back and work harder. Yeah. And then, you know, we got better that way and we ended up, you know, having people that did have some pretty good results nationally ultimately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and it just, it just makes sense from a transportation and everything standpoint too. I mean, why ship kids off for regionals to, you know, far flung corners of the state. Yeah. So that's step two. So step three is a big one because, you know, we were going to talk about having regular season matches based on skill level or some kind of like UTR thing rather than school size, because unfortunately there's been so many years where, you know, Niwot plays Mountain View and it's seven zero in 20 minutes and they don't even send their top kids, you know? Um, so it just, I don't see a lot of sense in having those schools play. Um, so that's another one, right? Just make the matches more about skill level and more competitive. Yeah. They, you know, we have classes here in Colorado, you know, girls have three, a four, a and five, a boys have four and five, a, so they tend to schedule within their classes, you know, so the same size schools play, and then they schedule within their conferences and the conferences are historical, you know, based on longstanding playing all sports against all those conferences. And there's something cool about that. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to do away with that, but not every school in the state has that many tennis players. Like you say, Mountain View, they don't even field a full team. And yet they're on the schedule against a Niwot that has 70 kids come out for tennis. Mm-hmm. And it makes more sense to me that even Niwot, you know, Niwot's not quite as big a school. Or Alexander Dawson isn't a very big school. Or Peak to Peak, not a very big school at all. Prospect Ridge. But they have tennis players there. And so you say, well, I don't care if it's a small school. Let's get them playing against other schools that have a significant number of competent tennis players. And that way you'd say you're going to get more competitive matches for everybody. The, the lesser schools can schedule each other and those kids are going to have a chance to win. Whereas, you know, a kid from Mountain View has zero chance to win a match against Niwot. The match is over in 25 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't see how that does anybody any good. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure why, why it's not feasible to, you know, within reason within your area, try to get the best teams in the state. You know, there's 20 or 25 schools that seem to really do most of the tennis playing around here. Mm-hmm. And try to get them competing against each other a little bit more often during the regular season. You know, the, the, the high school coaches seem to be hamstrung a little bit by their conference schedule where they only get a couple of outside of conference dates. 
and you know they'll try to schedule you know area schools that are incomparable in skill but i think hopefully you know i would like to see them do more of that Mm -hmm. so that out of 12 matches you know nine or ten of them are pretty competitive instead of two or three Mm -hmm. which seems to be i don't know about your experience with but that's that's my experience yeah is that you know very you know very few of those matches are competitive throughout the year and then that makes there's a disincentive there for the for the better kids to play so if that's the third, we had a fourth one and we might have more, but a fourth is um, letting coaches be on the court in a high school match. And you and I have always said that um, if we're being honest, the amount of times and we, you and I have both been there as players and coaches, but we've always said that the amount of times that we said something through the fence to a kid in a match and the amount of times it actually made a difference, if you're being honest about it, is slim. But, you know, why not? have coaches out on the court right and, and and let them be engaged and be involved and um that's another change huh yeah i can i can probably tell you i can tell you the stories i know them because they're rare when i was able to actually make a difference during a match giving somebody advice coaching them so it is unusual but you know they allow it you know i, I would sort of prefer not allowing coaching I, I think that's one of the cool things about tennis but team tennis it's different you know davis cup college tennis they allow coaching Right. And in Colorado high school tennis, they allow coaching. They, you know, they say coaching theoretically <laughs> is going to help players get better. So let's give coaches an opportunity to help the players during matches. Fine. I'm on board with that. You know, college does it. Let's do it. But what they used to do is they said you could only coach on the changeovers and you have to coach outside off the court. Then they changed that to say, well, you can coach at any time as long as you don't interfere with play. But it still has to be the coach outside the court. And so you get this circus of these kids running to the fence and the coaches running all around outside the fences, all between these courts, like at the state tournament and running around the facilities during the high school matches, always trying to, you know, get the attention of a player and, and coach them at the fence. And my take on it, it's not, it's, this isn't a huge, a huge deal, obviously, but you're allowing coaches. Why not just allow them on the court? Like they do in college tennis, like they do in Davis cup. Yeah, it's always like, grab your water. Come on over, grab your water. Yeah, right. And it's like, oh, is this a changeover? I'll go to the fence. Get your water. Come over and talk. Yeah, right. And it just needlessly delays things. And it's a, it, it, it looks silly. Just, you know, if you have a lot of experience with college tennis, it's it, it, not silly at all. There's a coach sitting on the bench on one court. Maybe the coach wanders between courts. I mean, you can get up and jog between, you know, go from court one down to court three and maybe say something to a person on court two while they're bouncing, you know, just before they serve, even as you jog over to the other court. So, you know, we don't want coaches interfering with play, but if you're allowed to coach outside the fence without interfering with play, I don't see the harm. I think it's much more expedient to simply say, yeah, you can be on the court. You're, you're closer to the person. You can say something to them. Well, I don't see the harm. I, I'm afraid what they think the harm is, is the coaches are going to be intimidating the players because if you look at the at the Chassa Bulletin and talk and it talks about coaching, man, there's an awful lot in there about coaches are not to intimidate opposing players and all that stuff. And so that that to me is a is a red flag. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a bad sign if they think that's the quality of coaches, the nature of coaches they have that they need, <laughs> that they need to say, man, if that coach is on the court, they're going to be a bully or intimidating somebody. Like, okay, you got a bigger problem than whether the coach is on the court or not. If, if that's the kind of coaches you have, that's not a problem in college tennis. I've never seen that a problem where a coach is intimidating an opposing player or something. Yeah. It's once, absurd. Yeah. I'll tell you another example, too. Once Greeley started being a regional host, they have this, the, the main park up there. I, 
believe it's at Centennial Park, they've got a huge walkway between the courts, right? So there's like four courts on each side of you and this walkway down the middle, but they, they rope it off and it says coaches only. But guess what? That's the best place to view a match is that walkway. Right. So, and coaches only are allowed in there and it's enforced. And yeah. if, as if like a coach brings a kid to the fence that someone else could go up to the coach and start coaching them too. I, I guess that's the fear. But if you said coaches are allowed on the court, well, then it wouldn't matter. You, you could have anybody, grandma and grandpa could go in that walkway where it's great viewing. But yeah, then only the coach can go out on the court. So then you yeah. also guarantee that they're not getting any secret coaching from some guy like me running around, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, yeah, so it's, is... hard. it's funny if you allowed it on the court, well then, Oh, okay. Obviously this guy talking to my kid on at the water cooler on a changeover is the coach. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty inconsistent rule too, as to, you know, whether people can view from the, you know, behind the courts on the back fences at the state tournaments, they do it all the time. It's totally yeah. allowed. Yeah. Um, at some places they, they rope it off like that. I mean, most places they don't. Cause like you said, that's a, that, that's where I like to watch tennis from. Right. You know, as a coach, I don't like sitting on the bench particularly cause I don't have a great view of the match, but you know, that would be up to the coach. You can sit there or you can watch from behind. You know, I just think it should be allowed, but you know, I think maybe another reason why they try to keep people off that back fence is they, once again, they're, they're worried about intimidation. You know, they're worried about the fans or somebody hovering next to a player and, and, being mean to him or something but you know you can be mean to him from the side so i don't think you're really gaining much there so you might be right it might be that they're afraid a parent's going to coach or some quote unauthorized coach will do the coaching you know again i don't i don't know that that's a huge deal i mean you yeah. can you can sign every you can sign every parent up as a as a, a dollar coach you know you could if a, if a parent wants to be a coach there's plenty of them out there i mean i think some of the high schools have 10 11 coaches go to the state tournament yeah i mean that's that's one of the reasons tennis is just not that popular is because we're all supposed to be quiet. You can't cheer a miss and all these really dumb rules and, and ethics and etiquette that really aren't even, that don't even apply. And again, right. contrast to college. I mean, the colleges that are rocking and it's rare, but the colleges that are rocking with fans, you know, isn't it true that they actually change their opinion on taunting and even like heckling, it's now actually allowed. And, you know, they actually were like, Hey, we got to do something to get fancier. So, you know, yeah, we, yeah, we all know, that's right. We all know when it crosses the line, but why, why not cheer a miss? You know, I mean, there's this rule that we don't cheer a double fault, but I mean, come on. I'm pretty sure in football, they cheer a hit to the quarterback, but puts him in the hospital. Yeah. I mean, tennis is a game of errors. And if you're not cheering errors, you're kind of quiet, aren't you? Yeah. It's not that fun. Everybody's yeah. wearing white t-shirts and we got to sit in our hands. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't want an abusive bullying culture, but you know, you do have to get used to, Hey, you know, people are going to cheer for the other team. Yeah. They're not just going to cheer for me. Yep, exactly. So, I mean, I think that, you know, you and I, we talked in the last time about how we got uh, interested in high school and in tennis. And it was both high schools were a big part of both of ours. So I think the culture that's set up by your high school tennis, uh, I think that makes a big difference. And we'll talk about that in a future episode about the culture of tennis. But I think high school tennis is crucial. Yeah. So, so that's why, you know, if we can get it just a little bit better tweaked here in Colorado, you know, primarily through these more local rivalries through a true team format. So the kids are actually part of a team instead of a bunch of individuals. I think it would help. I think it would help Colorado tennis. When, when you were a kid in Kansas, was it flighted or was it teams? Teams. Yeah. I love yeah. it. There's teams all about. Teams. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, how, that's uh, how it was. Episode, where I grew up too. Yeah. Future episode is going to be how we are different 
than other states, right? How altitude tennis is different than other states and, you know, why it's tough to produce a pro here. If you're a marathoner or a long distance runner, you could do a lot worse than Boulder, Colorado. But if you're serious about tennis, we've always said, like, this is not the state. We're all big fish in a small pond. But there's, with some notable exceptions, we're, we're big fish in a small pond. And this is not exactly what you would call ideal training grounds for tennis. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it isn't. No, the people that the people that have gotten really good at tennis from here have left. Exactly. Yeah. They, they, at some point, you know, they, you, we've introduced a fair number of pretty good players right. to tennis here, but we haven't, you know, we got Salzenstein got to hundred in the world, but he, I think he trained most of the time in Florida or somewhere like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, well, that's uh, my take. Yeah. What else? I mean, uh, I enjoy it, right? The girls are just now forming their lineups and teams and about to have their first match as far as our, you know, our girls here in Colorado play in the spring, boys play in the fall. So it's really cool. I'm going to try to connect here with some of the girls that we saw over the winter. And a lot of them are playing one singles for their various schools. And uh, um, it's fun. It's fun, but it could be better, right? Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I also thought about was, you know, we tend to start uh, high school tennis a little early here in Colorado, in my opinion. It doesn't really matter. But, you know, we don't really have rely we have great weather right now and it's going to be kind of breezy and cold coming up and i always figured geez why don't they just start after spring break and then go into the you know go a little bit later but that ah, yeah it's not a big deal i think they do i think they do a pretty good job with the girls schedule it's a longer season than the boys season probably because of the weather and, right and you know having it be 12 weeks instead of nine or something it gives the coaches a little bit more flexibility in scheduling scheduling around spring break and around the weather and everything so i think that's good no, I mean, I think, I think Colorado, you know, Colorado's high school tennis and Colorado's high school sports in general are great. They're very popular. And yeah. I think, I think that's important. You know, it's, it, if you get the kids, if you get some publicity for it in the local papers and, and kids around the school are enthusiastic, I think that's great. And yeah. I just think, I just think in tennis, if you actually embraced, especially the true team concept, got schools playing local, local area schools and more intense rivalries, I just think that would jazz it up just an, an extra level. I mean, I even saw something. I was going to send you this link when I was looking into this true team concept. And I, I told you before that Minnesota used to have flights. And I, I was trying to find out when that was. And I couldn't really get any good information on when they switched. I think it was maybe in the early 1960s or something. So they maybe did 10 or 15 years of flighted. You know, they didn't call it true team championships back in those days. Um, but there, I found a site for track and field in Minnesota where they were trying to do true team track and field championships. I found that fascinating. Hmm. And it was basically the same principles. You know, they didn't want, you know, one or two competitors to dominate, to have a, a team win the track championship. So, I mean, even in something like track and field, where to me, it's I've never heard of a dual or true team track and field. It's always, you know, adding up 100 meter dash and the javelin and the shot put and the mile and a half mile, just the nature of it. You know, how do you have a dual? Yeah. It's kind of weird. But even at that, they were, they wanted to do it. So, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's an idea that hopefully, I mean, I don't, I, I don't really have any, any hope that, that Chassa would, would change and, and adopt this, but boy, I, I just think it'd be great if they could do it. Yeah. Well, let's get this out there and, um, you know, just trying to make the game better and even more fun. So, um, this could be our first podcast coming in under the half hour mark. How about that? <laughs> we're gonna... well, that's good it's only it's only interesting to only colorado people and only high school people in colorado right well yeah and so far i mean other than scott wilson and broken arrow i mean 
you know, we're not getting a huge reach, but uh, we're pleased to hit the South and the Midwest areas. Yeah. And so if anybody has any comebacks to us, you know, like, no, we like it the way it is, why it's the way it is. Be interested in hearing that, but you know, I'd like to see, I'd like to see these kids get a real true team experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hey, what's on deck. Um, again, any interest from or suggestions or topics, anything anybody wants us to hit on, we'll talk about it. And we're, we'll, we'll go to, we'll go in any direction somebody wants to go as long as it's pertinent to Colorado and tennis. So, um, what future is, uh, where Colorado is different than other States, right? What else? Well, we're just going to talk about the, not necessarily, yeah, just compare and contrast Colorado, the challenges we face, the culture and the environment of tennis in Colorado mm -hmm. and the high school scene is part of it. And the altitude is part of it. The density of players is part of it. Uh, you know, what's an optimal density and how do you achieve that? We'll talk about that. And then we were just talking yesterday a little bit about the fundamentals of tennis. And we'll try to do an upcoming episode on what those are. I've been giving that some thought. You know, when you when you go to the Google and you search fundamentals of tennis or fundamentals of badminton, you see a lot of things that, well, to me, can't be fundamental, like grip, stance, form, strokes, that kind of thing. And in my opinion, if something is fundamental, it can't change. It's got to be, has always been part of the game, fundamental to the game. And if, and if grips vary between people and playing styles change over the years, well, those can't be fundamental, can they? Yeah, that'll be a good topic. That's going to tie into technique obsession and everything else. And, and what is it coaches really should say out there? And, you know, are we hurting kids or helping kids? And maybe we can do it different and better, huh? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think we can, you know, or just, you know, what the heck are they? It doesn't seem there, you know, that it doesn't seem to me that people really agree on what the fundamentals of tennis are. Right. Right. I mean, and we'll talk about it hopefully in a future episode, but uh, Peter Burwash wrote a book in 1981 called tennis for life. And he said in that form is not fundamental. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I got thinking, well, what else isn't fundamental? And it got me going down this path of, we got to understand what the fundamentals are. If we're going to help people learn the game. Yeah. Because, you know, you're going to hear that all the time. We hear it all the time. People need to learn the fundamentals before they start playing a sport. And my take on it is, well, the fundamentals are fundamental. They're going to need those right from the get-go, aren't they? Right. <laughs> you know, and so, and, and if the fundamentals aren't, you know, how you grip the racket and how you swing the racket, well, what are they? So that'll be upcoming. And if anybody else has any topics they want to want us to talk about, we'd love to do it. Yep. Well, with that, um, I got a fun afternoon. I get to see top kid from Niwot, top kid from Silver Creek, and one of the better kids from Rocky Mountain, and top kid from Frederick. So kind of fun. We get a, I get to see a bunch of kids today from different high schools, and you got to reload, sharpen the knives, and go straight crafts. <laughs> What's the context where you're seeing all those kids? Oh, private lessons. Yeah, oh, okay. our, our group start in April. So got it. some private lessons right now, and you know me. It's going to be a lot of hitting and working on points and – I don't think I'll feed a single ball today because, well, we both believe that's the way to get better and have fun. So it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of points, and and working on some tactics and shot selection and transition and attack and defend and all that. So um, yeah. should be a lot of fun. Two of these four kids are looking at colleges, and so um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about colleges too. In fact, you know, um, you're a researcher, so I might be able to send you. This is for um, Luke from Niwot in particular. Yeah. Um, he's thinking engineering. And maybe mechanical, but it could change. But engineering and NAIA or D3, and he's going to give me a geographical area. But uh, Luke's a kid that um, was not thinking college tennis until relatively recently. And now he's thinking 
let's go play and, and small school it. And boy, you and I think that's a heck of an idea. Yeah, that'll be good. That's a beautiful day for you out there. Yep. Uh, uh, all right. Well, we'll I'll check in with you in a week and we'll do another one. Outstanding. Have a good day. See you then. You too. Bye.